0: Just a quick announcement before this episode gets started. Sarah and I have a freebie that goes along with this episode, and it's a printable, downloadable PDF that has 20 ideas for interactive toys you can use with your early communicators who are on the spectrum. It's available to all of our newsletter subscribers, and you can sign up at slphappyhour.com. And now, on to the show.
1: Welcome to SLP Happy Hour. We are a podcast for SLPs with big hearts who are looking for ways to improve the lives of ourselves and the humans we work with. Welcome and thank you for listening in. Let's learn together as we discuss tips and tricks, advice, easy lessons, and how to manage our work lives in a profession full of ups and downs. I'm Sarah. And I'm Sari. We've got an exciting bonus episode
0: for you this month. A quick and informative self-care interview with one of our favorite SLPs. This episode, we've got a ten-minute in-person interview with Bryony Rust. So let's make it happen. Welcome, Bryony. Thank you. It's lovely to be here in person. <laughs> this is actually our very first ever in-person interview, so that's kind of exciting. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we always start out with a lightning round of questions. We did give you forewarning, <laughs> <laughs> and these are just quick questions to say the first thing that that pops into your head. And some of these might be a little silly. Okay. Okay. So, if you could bring back any fashion trend, what would it be? Oh, maybe bell-bottoms. Oh, good choice. (laughs) And platforms. What was your first car? And this will be interesting because
2: I'm sure it was a British car. It was. So, actually, my first car was a Vauxhall, um, and the head gasket went on that. Um, uh, We were were given it. It was a parent donation, so we, we got the max out of that car. It was red. It was, kept us going. Now, did you name your first car? <laughs> no. Named our second car mm. in my uh, first job as a speech therapist. My team said, you have to have a name for your car, especially because you're driving around the county on home visits. So that was named Noodle by my oh, teammate. Oh, that's perfect. That's great. <laughs> okay, next, if you had
0: to sing a karaoke
2: song at karaoke, what would you pick? I always find that really difficult and I'm the one that's just procrastinating and flicking through the album of, you know, karaoke songs, but any kind of old school thing, like something like Burt Bacharach, like, do you know the way to San Jose or something? Like that. Uh, How does that song go? Oh, I couldn't possibly tell you,
0: Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. That's, that's a whole other to level of pressure. I I know. Start singing I know. On a
1: <laughs> okay. Well, let's do just
0: one more. If you had to eat one meal every day for the rest of your life, what would it be? Oh, I think toast. Good choice, <laughs> classic. <laughs> appreciate been
1: it. you, <laughs> <laughs> All right, so tell us a little bit about your SLP journey and how you got to where you are today. Uh, okay, well, um, I qualified just over ten years
2: ago. Um, I did an undergrad course in uh, communication and linguistics, and was just really interested in the aspects of special educational needs. I come from a long line of teachers and um, I was working in London at the time and I got a placement with Great Ormond Street Hospital there and worked within their cleft lip and palate team Mm. and that was just so much fun to work within a multidisciplinary team and work with the plastic surgeons and also kind of hear all of the the coffee chat that goes on with it within that team, and oh, kind of sure. hear the things that they would they would, would um, say. Kind of, I always think it's the incidental conversations that get you all know, the really interesting stuff. So, um, I worked as an SLTA there uh, within the team, and then went on and did my um, postgrad in speech and language therapy in the UK. And um, yeah, so I've worked in a variety of settings. I worked within a um, specialist residential school where that was my first job and I was really lucky to have a really small caseload for my first year, which really gave me time to kind of um, dig deep and and have a a good supportive team and work alongside a teacher and... um, And that's almost kind of rare in the UK to get that much time to be teammates with a teacher. So I really appreciated that. And uh, I've also worked within the National Health Service, had an enormous caseload within a community clinic there, uh, which was where my car was named noodle because they were (laughs) driving all over the place um and I also worked within an early intervention set up a team within um so we have sure start children's centers head start I think is okay Mm -hmm. um and loved being having the opportunity to work with families as a whole group and to start working with families when their children are you know six months old and up and I just love that love that so um Uh, After that job, I went independent. So I've been an independent, you know, private practitioner for the last four years and is,
1: yeah, just a privilege to work
2: with those families and have a bit more time with them. That's great. Mm -hmm. And
1: you really specialize in kind of what we would call like early intervention and like nonverbal autism.
2: Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So um, I work in a rural area and so I have that kind of um, treat of having quite a varied caseload because of the area that I work in. And I do like that variety, it keeps me on my toes. But absolutely my jam is working with those really young children and really working alongside the parents, it's a bit more of a partnership within that and yeah and um non-verbal pre-verbal pre-ASD diagnosis those kind of Mm. children so often families come to me just at that point where they're saying I don't even know if I if my child is too young for speech therapy and so they're just kind of starting out on what can be quite a big emotional journey Mm. and um and so I have renewed respect for the element of kind of emotional support involved in our jobs
1: as well. Mm -hmm. For both your client, the young child and the parent as well, Absolutely. to walk them through that journey.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I just think more and more so much of what we do is about listening to them and giving them the space to kind of uh, tell you what pace they're ready for. You know, we, we can often be quick to diagnose and often parents need a little bit more time to just kind of come to terms with that and understand what that means. So I think you have to kind of hold their
1: hands through that.
2: Sure. Different stages of readiness Absolutely. for information. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. So what's one project you're working on right now?
2: Um, Well, I guess my biggest project has been um, making videos this year. I have uh, started um, sharing information with parents in kind of short, bite-sized videos on kind of everyday tips, um, basically answering the frequently asked questions that I have heard over the years. And what I found now is I'm kind of building up a bank of answering those questions on video and now I get to share them with other families because often they have the same kind of questions Mm -hmm. so my kind of my hope for 2019 is to get better at the kind of project of making videos and being helpful for families online. Mm -hmm. Being a resource for
0: parents. Yeah Mm -hmm. yeah. Well uh, one of the things we wanted to ask you is if you have a lazy lesson to share. A lazy lesson is what we call an efficient lesson and it's a popular topic that we like to talk about on the podcast. Do you have
2: an efficient or a lazy lesson (laughs) that you'd like to? Well first I have to say I love your lazy lessons (laughs) and um, I often get lots of good hints and tips from them. Um, Where I work with very young children so much of what I do is child led or, or you know sometimes led by the parent in terms of what they're coming to the appointment needing to kind of figure out together so my lazy lessons tend to be like my go-to resources that I will take with me and my favorite thing especially for my non-verbal ASD or pre-diagnosis potentially autistic child is bringing a bucket of super exciting sensory stimulating Mm. toys and my secret with that is to not give up control of the bucket so I know that for those kind of children, the toys within my bucket, you know, the whiz pop, flash bang balloons or whatever those things are, <laughs> are going to be more fun than me. You know, they're they're often easier for those children to understand and to interact with mm-hmm. than me. You know, mm-hmm. humans are complicated and hard to figure out often. Um, and so I hold on to that bucket so that I'm kind of inextricably linked to that that thing. And so, um, and it's hard because of course I want to just, I don't want to get into a wrestling match with a child. So you've got to balance it out depending on each child. But if I can present the idea that, you know, I'm exciting and worth paying attention to because, with those very young children, attention is absolutely so much what we need to work on. Mm -hmm. And it's really tempting for us to work on output and what kind of words they're using and how they're requesting. But there's so much that goes on before that. You know, there's kind of hidden roots of communication, really. And I find that having a bucket of exciting things and being, you know, part of that bucket for the child, I find that quite a comforting thing to go to an initial appointment when I have no idea what to expect. Maybe the parent has told me, you know, we might have a potentially varied session than having something like that. But I know above all else, my alien sound, whizzing, flashing light thing, I'm sure I'm going to be able to get a (laughs) moment of good attention and shared attention between me and the child with that.
1: So it's like a a box of fun toys. Does the child get to play with the toys or do they watch you play with the toys? Yeah, it's just
2: about me. Yeah, so it's learning to be with another human and pay attention to that human and that that can be rewarding in itself. So... I try to be flexible about it, but I find that I get more good quality kind of communication, interaction, attention practice with that child if I don't just hand over the toys to them because then they will be very happy to, you know, take themselves to a corner of the room and play with that toy. And then I've lost that connection, I've lost any kind of communicative, you know. I like the idea of offering an irresistible invitation to communicate and so I have to be part of something that's fun for that child and yeah not give up control of right, that toy exactly. but I know that's
1: hard we want to be flexible for our children so. but you're right I think I give up control of the toy too early and then the child will walk off with it mm-hmm, uh-huh. mm-hmm. and yeah. not want to give it up and maybe start to hoard toys yeah. so then I you
2: get into that kind of t- t- tug and pull kind of oh can I have a turn and no way can they do turn. they're not going to let it mm-hmm. go but that's why a bucket with a is really useful and there's all that kind of showmanship of it you know like the anticipation you are definitely going to want to see what is inside my bucket and I'll open up the lid and I will just pull out one thing and shut the lid again and sometimes I'll sit on my bucket so that they can't kind of sneak any extra toys and we'll just look at that one thing for for a little a few seconds and then put it back in the bucket so they're just having short periods of like oh if I look at you you show me something that's worth paying attention to just figuring
1: out how to do that together Mm -hmm. and that it's it's a box and that you can't see through it either because I was taught to use a clear box so that children can request
2: okay yeah but these are children who are not nearly yet ready to request right so it doesn't
1: work yeah
2: yeah because and if you think about that kind of that process towards requesting something there's a lot of thinking that goes on uh, within that and part of it pre-request is just learning to have joint attention and both be looking at something and for that child to figure out I'm I'm in I'm I'm interested in this we can look at it together I can enjoy looking at this and realize that you are part of this because these are the kind of children that you will find will grab your hand to make a request rather than look at you so so I'm trying to kind of see I, I know that you Sarah spoke previously about holding things up to Mm -hmm. your eyes so Mm -hmm. that they're inclined to look towards your face and so Mm -hmm. I think that's something I do a lot and often end up lying down on the floor because if you're working with you know these are little people and Mm -hmm. so if we want (laughs) to catch their eye and be as available as possible we often have to be impressive yogis
1: to get into (laughs) the right position right because working at eye level isn't having the child on the floor and you on the floor that's not eye level if you're both sitting up so I see you laying down laying on your side if the kid is laying down and Mm -hmm. so that's something to keep in mind yeah and Mm -hmm. some taught me that actually it's
2: not just about being eye level but being below their their eye level Mm -hmm. so make it as easy as possible for them to just kind of glance in your direction and catch your eye because these are children who won't necessarily put in the effort they haven't learned to make that effort to make eye contact so Mm
1: -hmm.
2: yeah being below them is just it's a little bit easier to catch their
1: gaze so yeah Okay, I'm going to try that. So you work with very young children who can be unpredictable. So will you tell us about a lesson that did not go as planned and what happened? <laughs> I think that perhaps sometimes we we have
2: a sense of those children when they come in because we often talk with parents on the phone beforehand. Um, I work within um, a shared... Uh, Building where with I have a lot of other counselors and therapists in the building with me, and next door to me is a hypnotherapist, which I think might not be the best combination. <laughs> <laughs> um, we work it out. Uh, we have good communication between the two of us, but I can remember one time I had a child who was much noisier than I had expected, mm-hmm. and um, and we were you know causing chaos collectively, and mm-hmm. you know being child led and I'm kind of joining in with that and Mm -hmm. (laughs) then my dear hypnotherapist neighbor kind of flew into the room in a waft of kind of hypno energy and her kind (laughs) of and said I'm in the middle of getting a client into a deep state of relaxation please can you keep it down and you know this I just think the scene she must have seen when she flew into the room and we've just got all of all of those bucket toys Mm -hmm. out and you know chaos and (laughs) we're kind of hollering at each other and playing around with different vocalizations and sounds so that was Mm -hmm. a mismatch in our scheduling okay and since then myself and my hypno neighbor have worked hard to make sure that we don't have those kind of noise (laughs) discrepancies i (laughs) think that can be a
1: factor i can relate so much to that i'm in a shared (laughs) office space with counselors and i'm often noisy Mm -hmm. So um,
0: we also wanted to ask if you would share what the best SLP wisdom is or advice
2: that you have received. Okay, Uh, so the best advice that I hold on to and still need reminding of all these years later was from my first clinical supervisor who said that there is an ebb and flow to our work. Mm. And I particularly like that as my business is salt by the sea. So any kind of oceanic reference suits me. <laughs> but that reminder that there are points in the year, uh, especially w- when we work to a school term time schedule. I suspect it's there's also points in the year for adult therapists where things are incredibly hectic and busy. And we have incredible reserves to somehow just push through and get all those IEPs completed or make all those phone calls or whatever it is Um, but then we have to then give ourselves a little bit of space to rest when things are a bit uh, quieter because Mm -hmm. sometimes when things are quiet within a term time I think oh I'm sure I have that nagging sense I should be doing something else but actually this is just that natural ebb and flow and I need to go with the flow and
1: allow myself that quieter time and not be worried about what else I should be doing <laughs> or not grab another project oh, or yeah. find more to do's okay. that's a real challenge mm. can't even tell you how much I relate to everything you just said <laughs> I know me too so if listeners want to hear more about you where can they look well they can find me on my website saltbythesea.com
2: and um on all social medias as salt by the
1: sea as well Mm-hmm. oh and youtube your youtube presence is very impressive right. yeah. yeah so are you salt by the sea on youtube i as well? am just my name Briani rust okay on youtube so we could go on forever and we have gone on for longer than we thought but it was so fun i couldn't stop so if you want to learn more about Briani, visit salt um or find her on youtube as bryany rust and um, that's our show for today if you like this show, learned something new, or want to hear
0: more episodes like this, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Please also rate and review us in your podcast player so that we can keep bringing these episodes to you, and so more SLPs and SLPs to be can... and SLTs, speech language yes, therapists, and S- right? right? Yeah. Yes, okay. <laughs> can learn about the podcast. That is this show. We hope that this has been a little slice of an SLP happy hour for you. We've enjoyed recording it.